Hey there, Mike Stelzner coming to you with a fascinating update you might not be familiar with. Did you know that Social Media Examiner can deliver all the marketing, training, news, and trends, insights that you need into your inbox three days a week when you sign up for our newsletter and it's completely free? Simply visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates and take your marketing to the next level. Welcome to the Marketing Agency Show, where we explore solutions to the biggest challenges faced by agencies. Hey, y'all. Thank you so much for joining me for the Marketing Agency Show, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Brooke Sellis, and this is the show for agency owners and agency marketers. We explore the topics that no one else is talking about. So pull up a seat to the table and let's have a great conversation. Today, I'll be joined by Goldie Chan, the green-haired goddess of marketing. Also, if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow the show so you don't miss any of our future content. Let's transition over to this week's guest, Goldie. To help explore the frontier of working at and growing agencies, here is this week's expert guide. Hey, everybody. I am super duper thrilled to be talking to friend and marketer Goldie Chan today. Goldie founded Warm Robots, which is an award-winning social media strategy agency based in Los Angeles with global clients. She's also a senior contributor at Forbes for an internationally recognized column called Personal Branding and Storytelling in the Digital Age. Goldie! Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm so excited to talk today. Ah, I love our chats. So I know that everybody who's watching or listening is also going to love this chat because if you don't know, Goldie's kind of a big deal. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm excited to be on this show with the other big deal, (laughs) my sweet friend Brooke. (laughs) <laughs> My sweet rock. Oh, so let's get down to the nitty gritty. Why did you decide to found Warm Robots? What made you take the leap into entrepreneurship? So I think whenever we're thinking about starting something new, at least for me, I think a lot of times I stumble into things. So I think what people might not know is that prior to, to running my own agency and creating a lot of content that I create, I was working in-house for over a decade doing specifically branding and marketing. So makes sense that I have a branding and marketing agency now. <laughs> but I was working in-house and I started creating videos on LinkedIn and people asked if I could come in and consult. And so people were asking for me to do really one-off consulting things. And I thought, okay, well, it's probably good if I have an actual agency that encapsulates some of the things that I offer and then potentially bring on board other people who can handle things that are maybe not my area of expertise. And so that's why I essentially started running more robots that I started is because people were asking me to do light level consulting and I was able to scale that up to much bigger projects. Yes, I have seen you in a lot of different places. We're doing different things. You have LinkedIn courses. You do some work with Adobe, which we'll get into within the show. But 
you're everywhere. And it all started because I guess you have this 10 years of experience, which is great. So what types of clients do you serve? Do you serve any particular type of industry or client with warm robots? Or is it kind of all over the place? It's a little bit all over the place. I would say that there's certain years where, and I think this is any agency owner, right? There's certain years where you decide you want to focus on a certain vertical. And then there are certain years where you say, I want to open it up to a broader audience. And then there's some years where those clients find you and you are doing, (laughs) you are working in that industry, whether or not you've targeted that industry. And so I think that's happened to all of us at any point who have run a company. And for me specifically, that usually happens around the division between B2B and B2C clients. So some years I've been very focused on B2B clients. Some years I've been focused on B2C. Some years it's been a mix of both. And so that's essentially where I'm always surveying to see, okay, who am I? What kind of client am I working for this year? Usually that's the types that I'm seeing. Yeah. And so During this journey that you've had, and what we're going to be talking about today is the influencer advantage. So during this time of starting your agency, owning your agency, you also had this play into the evolution of Goldie becoming an influencer, right? This is one of your revenue streams as well. So can you kind of tell us, you know, start at the beginning and how did going from an agency owner and a brand influencer happen? How did that unfold? So I have to show this on camera because I always think it's funny. (laughs) I wouldn't be talking about branding if I didn't show my branded, you know, the fact that I literally carry my brand with me everywhere. But to start at the beginning, so I had been working in-house, like I said, for over a decade. Uh, It had never occurred to me to honestly be an on-camera influencer of any kind. I personally thought I was going to, I had hit the point of my career where I was like, okay, well, the next job is a next head of marketing or head of community or whatever that VP level job is, or C-level exec maybe job at some point is in the marketing, branding, community funnel. And it's really funny that I, once again, I started creating all these videos in 2017 on LinkedIn and it essentially blew up in a way that I wasn't expecting at all. And so my journey of growing my agency really happened at the same time as I was actively creating content. So I remember there's a period where I had one client that I had to fly all over the US and I was doing a lot of social strategy for them and helping them film social content. So I was flying around with my production team as well. At the same time, I was myself shooting videos documenting, traveling, and doing these like fun bite-sized you know, videos of like being in Chicago, being in San Diego, being in all these other cities, and just like showing what it's like to run an agency where you're traveling all the time. <laughs> and I thought it was very meta because, but then I'm also with my actual production team and we're shooting these really beautiful promos for the client as well. I would say that was a really interesting period, especially in around 2017, 2018, when I was doing both at the same time and really full force into growing my personal brand by documenting my life. And that's what I did was document my life and give branding tips, as well as having clients 
that were asking for a certain amount or certain type of strategy work from me. Yeah. So you manifested it. That's what I heard you say. You just made it happen. (laughs) You manifested and it happened. But when did you realize, you know, you had like two revenue streams going here? Yes. And how was realizing that that overlap was happening between the two roles? How did that affect you? Was it like exciting? Was it scary? Was it both? How did you tackle that overlap when you first realized it it came to be? Well, I will say just like not maybe just like anyone, because I think that I think, you know, in 2017, of course, there were influencers, but there certainly were not influencers on LinkedIn. And so I will say that the revenue stream for one of those things, the agency side was certainly happening much faster (laughs) than the revenue stream for these fun videos that I was shooting myself. And, you know, all of that analysis, branding, marketing analysis I was doing as more on the influencer side. It was really interesting when I started making money on both sides of the table. And I think that there's also something really interesting about the way it muddies the line a little bit. So sometimes when people reach out to me, I have to be really clear about what you're reaching out for, like what that brand or client is reaching out for. Are they reaching out to have me do a sponsored post, to have me speak? to have me do behind the scenes strategy work? Or is it a combination of all of those things? And that's what's really fascinating for me is because then within the context of my agency, I can potentially offer broader strategy work with my entire team, but I can also offer potentially me speaking to employees as well in a talk format. So it's it's been a really interesting journey of navigating what offerings I offer yeah. <laughs> and seeing what makes sense based off literally what people are asking me for. I do a lot of my offerings, not whatever is, I'm so tired today. So whatever is the opposite of proactively, uh, reactively is how I do some of my offerings because people will ask for something and then I'll say, oh, I should develop that into an offering, right? Yes. I think so many of us do that also with our businesses. When we get asked by client for a certain, I'm sure book, you have so experienced this when a client has asked for something that you didn't even think they wanted as a service, but they keep asking for it or other clients also ask for it. So then you develop it out into an additional service. Yeah. I mean, that's how our social media customer service service came about. (laughs) We had clients asking us about it, essentially. You know, we were doing like social media strategy content, all that stuff. And then they were like, hey, what about just helping us with acquisition and retention through the conversations that are happening on social? And I'm like, oh, like moderation, but like then like triage for support and, you know, sales help with acquisition. And they're like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, we could do that. Yeah. no. So I totally see what you're saying. And it it also sounds like you kind of have to differentiate, right? For all of you who are listening. And if you want to become an influencer like Goldie, you kind of have to differentiate. Are they hiring you, Goldie, the person? Are they hiring Warm Robots, the company? Or do they want some sort of, uh, you know, package that includes both? I think that's a really interesting, you know, way to look at it. And I will say just to totally jump in, It was incredibly shocking to me the first time someone paid me money (laughs) 
to do sponsored content that had nothing to do, not nothing, but I wasn't on the strategy side of things. And I think that's what is also different about maybe my journey is I really started on the strategy side, strategy and marketing side of things. And then I slipped into the influencer side of things. So for me, being on the influencer side is still a relatively new thing as opposed to doing the behind the scenes strategy work, which I'm much more familiar with. And as an introvert, sometimes, you know, I do love to hide uh, <laughs> behind the camera as well. <laughs> yeah, don't we all? Well, I want to talk to you too about personal branding, right? Because there's a lot of people out there who talk about personal branding and they're experts at personal branding. They want to help you with personal branding. But I want to know from your experience, what is personal branding? What are the core elements of a strong personal brand rather than just having an online presence? Because there is a difference. I always think about this with personal brands. If people don't know who you are, then you don't have a brand. And that applies to personal brands as well. And I think that there are so many key elements to a personal brand, but they also differ for different goals that you might have. And I like to take a more career focused version of a personal brand because there's personal brand for fame, <laughs> uh-huh. for, for fortune, because I have to say that because I live in LA, or for your career. And I think a personal brand that is focused on a career has certain successful elements to it. One is, I would say, more a tactical element, and that is having a LinkedIn profile. It, of course, depends on the industry you're in because not all industries exist on LinkedIn, but most industries, and especially for the people probably listening to this podcast, uh, it will be relevant to be on LinkedIn. Another thing that I think is so helpful and relevant for personal brand is to think about how do you want to come across? And I do a exercise with my clients. I call it soft skills versus hard skills. And I actually just did a Forbes article on this as well that you're welcome to jump in and uh, read. But when you're thinking about hard skills versus soft skills, so what do I mean by that? So hard skills are you're a writer, you're a mechanic, (laughs) you're a marketer, you're an agency owner. Soft skills are you're warm, you're funny, you're competent. I just described Brooke. Um, You are, (laughs) all of these things are soft skills. And so what I like to do with my clients is I like to say, okay, you get to pick three. You get to pick three identifiers and you have to have at least one that's a hard skill and at least or and or at least one that's a soft skill. And this way it helps to do an initial filter on your personal brand and how you want to be known. Because I think people get so easily confused and distracted when they look at both their own brand, but also when they look at other people's brands. And what you don't want is you have 20 million adjectives, and especially because we are all multifaceted, and we're all doing a million things. What you don't want is to confuse people when you want to be known for one thing, that you're trying to market yourself as 10 different things. So I think it's always best to start with your 
one core, very memorable thing. So if you want to be known as, say, a writer, it's helpful that you are marketing yourself. Your personal brand is identifying that as the core initial thing that people will take away when they talk to you is that you are a writer. I love that. Yeah. So I'm like, I was thinking when you were saying these things, like, what would I be? I want to be known as like the social care or the customer care lady. So like the warm adjective that you used would make sense, right? That goes along with care. And then the hard skill would be like customer experience or digital customer experience with what I do in my job. Right. Do I have that right? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And also all the other adjectives that I said, which now if you ask me to repeat them, I don't remember. (laughs) I think I said maybe like competent, which absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I think usually when I run this exercise and and anybody who's listening can do this exercise for free because I'm telling you right now, so please do it, is I have them write down 20 to 50 adjectives total because when you get to 50 you start to get to some real truths in your life Uh (laughs) you start to get to some real uh really thinking about what you've done in your life and that actually is helpful because what you will do is you will discover potentially some adjectives that you didn't know were important to you you might discover some new skill sets that you didn't know that you wanted to prioritize. And I think it's so helpful to do more and then narrow down. And that's true of any brainstorm, right? Yeah, totally agree. So so it sounds like you nailed down kind of your own personal brand. And then in doing that, right, and kind of filming some of the behind the scenes content for these clients, you started to develop, whether it was on purpose or not, was this, you know, influencer revenue stream. So can you walk me through or us, those of us who are listening, a specific partnership or campaign where your influencer status really benefited a brand. So like Adobe is what I'm thinking of, but you can name any because I just saw those amazing videos you put out not too long. They're so good, but I'll leave it to you to tell us whatever story you want to talk about. Sure. So I love talking about Adobe because I, I mean, not to be a huge cheese ball. And I think it's so rare that we get to work with brands that we truly love. But I have been using Adobe since college. I have been an Adobe fan and active user since then. I think when they asked me to be an ambassador for the first time, I'm pretty sure I cried. Like, And I don't know that I've had, I really love all the other brands I've worked with. But I don't know that I've had that kind of visceral physical reaction to probably almost any other brand that I've I've worked with in the past. And it was also one of the first brands that found me out of the blue and was just like, you're doing interesting work. So how can we work with you? I absolutely forget the question that you asked now, (laughs) but I think you asked to walk through what it looks like when I'm an influencer working with a brand. Yeah. So just like paint that story, like paint that picture. So you use the product, but you didn't like know someone there. They just kind of contact you out of the blue and said, what? Like, and on what piece of content? How do they contact you? Like all the, all the deets, like just spill the tea on the beginning of this relationship. Sure. So specifically for Adobe, they found me based off my LinkedIn videos and my LinkedIn content, which is not surprising. And they had seen that I was just really what was interesting was they had seen that I was just really prolifically 
creating videos specifically on marketing and branding, and also that my audience, the C-suite, the reaches director level and above. And what most people don't know about Adobe is Adobe has two sides. Adobe has really their experience cloud side, which is more B2B, and then they actually have their B2C, which is what we're all more familiar with, I would say. So that's like the Photoshop, the Creative Suite. Now, I'm one of five maybe ambassadors that works on both sides of the table. When I joined the Adobe Ambassador Program, I joined actually on their B2B side, which was super interesting. So I joined on their business side of things and they had just seen that I was making content about B2B, how to, you know, foster relationships in B2B, how to grow your business in B2B. And so they had seen that and they wanted to partner with me because of that. And then I think one of the first things that we did together was I went to one of their main conferences, it's called the Adobe Summit, and helped to cover that and helped to digest some of the information and technology that they were showing there to my audience, specifically on LinkedIn. So one of the things I have to say is if you are hoping to become an influencer or do more of that paid work, One thing that's helpful is to literally already be doing the kind of content that would attract the kind of brands that you want to work with. So if you if you want to work with hair product brands, you should be making hair product content. Right. If you want to work with B2B, you should be making B2B content. And that's as simple as it is that most people just like when you're thinking about your personal brand, are too tired to make a leap of logic. So if you can make that leap of logic for them, (laughs) if you can say, okay, I'm actually really great at uh, digesting B2B subjects and making them easier to understand, then people will literally hire you for that. So, and For Brooke, obviously, that might be thinking about the customer experience, thinking about customer care. So if you are already creating content in your niche, it's easier for brands to find you. And the more, I cannot say this enough, the more specific you can get, the better. I love that you said that because we had a conversation about this on our own before we were talking podcast, but I had talked to you about some brands that had approached me to be an influencer for some of their tools. And I was very skeptical, right? I'm like, what is this? Do I want to do this? I hate my face. I hate my voice, blah, 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 blah. But what advice, because you gave me great advice, what advice would you give other agency owners who may be on the precipice of of also becoming an influencer, but are hesitant or scared? Like, how do you convince us of, of, of the value of doing this? So first of all, I have to say, use common sense because we are sometimes lacking in common sense these days. So if something is completely against or would damage your agency, don't do it. So that's that's not convincing you to do it, but that's just a common sense thing I have to disclaim. Now, to encourage you to do it, I would say that if it especially makes sense, it aligns with your agency's goals, it will further your agency's reach in the right target audience. I think that's one of the things that I also look at is target audience. Is it going to help get more work for my agency in the verticals and areas that I think are interesting, either personally or for my agency? 
And then I also like to think, okay, are they, and for that reason, if it's really going to further my agency's reach, then rate becomes, of course, much more negotiable, right? If it's incredibly beneficial to my agency, then the rate becomes very negotiable. And that's like another thing to think about is, okay, if you are doing influencer work, what are basic rates that would justify you being pulled away from running your business? Because it's 100%, it's 100% of balance. And the more personal influencer work you do, even as the head of your agency, the more you'll be pulled away from, say, the day-to-day running of your agency. So I think that's also something helpful to think about is, what is that cost? What is that number that you would feel comfortable stepping away and maybe handing the reins to somebody else at your agency a little bit more if you are a little bit more visible? Now, the good thing about being visible, of course, is we are in such a digital forward age where we constantly are judging things off social media. And especially if you're an agency owner, you probably have an agency website, you probably have a presence somewhat on social media. It's so helpful if you have a good presence on social media. It's so helpful if you're partnering with good brands. And I'm I'm using good very subjectively because good is different for everyone, but it's it's good to be good, right? It, <laughs> it's helpful if you are working with the kind of brands that people see as elevated. It's helpful if you are going to then say, okay, well, I'm working with this brand. They see fit to have me as an ambassador or have me on their podcast, have me, et cetera. The more you can do as an agency owner that gets your agency out there, that's maybe even doing influencer work, I think is helpful. Once again, being really thoughtful though about if that brand hits your target audience. Yeah, Let, let's unpack that a little bit more and look at the kind of the ugly side of that, right? When it comes to having a personal brand or being an influencer or both in your case, it comes with a share of challenges and vulnerabilities. How do you, or what advice do you have around criticism and negative feedback, especially if it's at you, Goldie, versus the agency or warm robots in your case. How do you, what's your advice there? I am a sensitive being. (laughs) And I wish I could say that I have tough skin and nothing phases me. So it's fine. Once you get used to it, it's fine. I mean, I still get pretty, because I'm so, so visible, I'll still get trolls all the time. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, especially at the height, really in 2018, when I was creating just content daily on LinkedIn, and just a ton of content, I was getting even just the hugest influx of trolls. And it was, it was super upsetting to me to get that many trolls and get people attacking me personally, like people were commenting on my physical attributes, like my the color of my hair, people were commenting that I'm a woman, you know, of course, yeah, I'm a woman, all of these things that just exist for me. Or they were saying, I can't believe the sound of your voice. I can't believe what you're talking about. Um, because most people didn't bother to, to look at the fact that I had worked in digital marketing prior for over a decade. So people assumed I was just talking about something I had no idea about. And, you know, I think it was really interesting to get that amount of troll and hate content And I have to say that 
you know, I am sensitive, but it also after a while, there is a certain level of dissociation that you have where you say, okay, this is a stranger on the internet. Maybe they just had a bad day. Maybe they are going through some struggles that I don't know about and they need to let off steam. And this is not directed to me personally, because even though the comments are personal and personalized, it's not always about you. And in fact, it so rarely is about you. I think about what somebody said to me about if you are walking down the street and you think people are staring at you, most people are thinking about their own day and their own experiences and their daily lives. And that's true of the internet as well. Most people are not even thinking about you in particular. They are maybe filtering you through their own life experience. And if you are a very visible entity, if you are an influencer, they are seeing you as an object as opposed to a person. Um, and so having that mindset of knowing that it's it's truly not personal, it's filtered through their life is, I think, a helpful way to think about it. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, this is what we do as a society. We objectify people and things and, um, you know, it's going to happen, unfortunately. And hopefully... I'm sensitive too, you know, hopefully after you have a good cry, <laughs> you can move on and the tears get less and less every time it happens. But I actually have a t-shirt that has, um, one of my friends made it for me. I have a t-shirt that has my first critical comment I ever got on LinkedIn that is like a paragraph long. Um, and I don't know if it's the first, first critical, but it's the first like long critical comment I got. And it's like LinkedIn video is not Facebook. Why are you making Facebook videos on LinkedIn? And it and it, she screen capped that in my response, which was, you know, thank you for sharing your opinion. Yeah. 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 Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. Oh my gosh, that's the best advice right there is just take that criticism and turn it into merch. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't sold I would it buy. as merch. Uh, I would buy. I, would I, buy. I, know, I know. I know. You. I would have one sale. Uh, <laughs> Oh my gosh. Uh, so let's switch to a happier topic and talk about like tools, platforms, strategies. Is there anything specific or particularly effective that you've used in both building and monetizing your personal brand into some of these influencer relationships? Sure. I would say this past year, for obvious reasons, we I'm not going to go into this podcast. I've had health issues. And so I've really slowed down and restarted a lot of what I've worked on. But prior to that, one thing that's always helpful is tracking, right? And tracking your funnel, your flow, whatever you want to call it. I'm not super big on having to have the proper names for things. So for example, tracking leads in Trello was something I was definitely doing. So literally just having a visible card set in Trello where I was saying, okay, here are brands that I would love to work with, right? Here are brands that maybe I've had one or two conversations with. Here are brands that I regularly work with, but maybe we're not working together right now. And then here are brands that have active campaigns going on that have deliverables due, et cetera. Then that's probably a separate board. That's probably, if you're building this out, right now I am actually tracking everything in Excel. It can also be Excel's, sheets with different tabs. 
So really understanding like, okay, here's who I would want to outreach to. Here are people that I maybe or brands that I have somewhat warm relationships with. And then just periodically making sure that you're checking in with them and you're saying, hey, I'd love to follow up. I know we had a talk last year, last month, probably last month is a little soon, but like six months ago, we had this talk. It would be great to chat again about how we can potentially partner together. I think that's really good advice that I need to take myself. So thank you for that mental note made. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about another thing that I think is, you know, a taboo, but there's a lot of influencers out there who some of us know personally and they don't match, (laughs) right? Are we naming names? I'm not. No, we're not naming names. <laughs> but, you know, we, we, we know these people, you know, behind the scenes, they might be a little difficult or diva-ish, but then in front of the cameras or working in these partnerships, they're a totally different person. So how do you maintain authenticity and be the person that your client, your influencer client audience trusts? with your endorsements while also fulfilling your contractual obligations? Because that seems like a lot to juggle. Yeah, I think that there's two parts to what you just said. One is being who you say you are. And then the other is making sure legal doesn't hunt you down. Um, (laughs) And I'll start with the second half because that's much easier to talk about. One of the things that I always do is I try to be really thoughtful. Once again, in whatever organizations, organizational system you use, I've used Asana, I've used Trello. I, like I said, I currently just use an Excel doc because it's just easier for me right now to make sure that I'm doing all of the deliverables that I need to do. And I like to make sure I'm very thorough with, even if it's so much as I'm creating the video and I need to send it back, I'm going to put an actual timeline on that. So I'm going to say, I need to send it back by October 14th. And then I expect it to come back on October 16th, at which point I will do a second version of that video. And then we will go through the iterations and things like that. I think it's good to have these little milestones that you've literally written out because for me, my brain is all over the place these days. And it's helpful for me to know, okay, I have a little calendar thing that pops up and says like, did you send in that first edit? No. Okay. Well, then you need to handle that today. (laughs) Now, the other side of that, what you said was being who you say you are. As somebody who works with personal brands, not everyone has the luxury to be who they say they are. That's one side of the table. The other side of the table is not everyone is as kind, gentle, wonderful as they say they are. That's another side of the coin. Many of us have personas. So if you've ever worked in marketing, um, for those of you out there listening to this, you know that in marketing, we have personas, and these are usually customer profiles that are essentially a version of what we'd like our customers be. So if I was running a supermarket, customer profile might be Deborah, and she is 55 to 65, and she shops in the store once a week, and she has a dog, (laughs) and she maybe buys dog food in the store. But when we're thinking about our own personal brand, some of us also have personas. Some of us also have a section of ourselves that we amplify when we are building our personal brand. And there's nothing wrong with that. And in fact, I think it is helpful to also not share every single thing on social media. 
I think it's helpful to keep certain things yourself just as a sanity thing. And I know for me, I'm a very genuine person. So what I'm showing in my brand, and you know this because we're friends, what I'm showing on the internet is pretty accurate slice of what I am just like as a friend and also what I'm like real life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I know that's not the case for everyone because also not everyone feels comfortable in their own skin. So part of it, I want to say is comfortability. Part of it is, you know, once again, it may not be, they may not be able to share everything. It may not be safe for them. And another side is they may be a dirtbag <laughs> and that doesn't help with being able to work with partners or brands. But what is always helpful is being a professional. So even if you are dirtbag, it's helpful if you show up and you're a professional with that brand, no matter what, because that is what will get you hired again and again. And I will tell you too, on a project that I was recently on, not going to name names, there was somebody else on that project and that other person, there was a couple other people and one of the people is not being brought back because they were really unpleasant and unprofessional to work with. What you do does have consequences. And online, they're just the opposite of that, right? But in person, they were incredibly difficult to work with in a closer one-to-one -one capacity with the client. And so this was something that was related to me. And I thought, that is why you always want to be as pleasant as possible with the client and brand, even if that's not in your nature naturally. <laughs> I mean, it's so true, though. I think, you know, it, it sounds like we're saying something that's common sense, but clearly based on your story right there, it's not common sense for everyone. So be kind, people. It really does go a long way. Looking ahead, you know, I think marketing's in this kind of interesting pivot point right now. Yes. Where do you see the future of personal branding for agency owner going? Are there emerging trends like AI uh, or <laughs> any other shifts that you see that that people who are agency owners who maybe want to get into this personal branding and influencer world should be preparing for? I will say if you were asking a different person, they would probably say AI, right? But you're asking me. So I won't say that. I'll say that what I'm always hopeful for is that people always keep the humanity in their personal brand. That's why it's called a personal brand. That's why it's not called a corporate brand. <laughs> and there's a certain level that AI, at least right now, cannot replicate. Right? Yeah. And I think there's a certain warmth and humanity that is always helpful if you are creating your own content or you have a beautiful team that helps create your content and it goes through a human filter. Uh, so even if you are having things that are AI generated, that it's still going through a human filter to be approved. It's still um, getting a set of human eyes to look at it because I think we are going to start getting, especially in the next year or so, and I, it feels like it already right now, we're going to get overrun by a ton of very mediocre, quite frankly, AI content that's for personal branding because people want to save time and it's absolutely understandable that they do. But having at least a checkpoint that someone is really reviewing all of that before it goes live and making tweaks and adjustments to it and treating AI as a tool, as a very helpful tool, as opposed to 
the second person in the room. I think that that's a really helpful way of thinking about the way this could potentially trend in the future. And it's, to me, it's a little bit like, I always think about food, right? (laughs) And I think about I think about bread and I think that you can have bread made by machines that's literally perfect. It's incredibly uniform. Every single loaf looks exactly the same and they have factories that do this. And then you can have homemade bread. You can have bread made by a small bakery that has slight imperfections, but there's something about that human touch that makes it just, first of all, available at a higher price point, which is, you know, something that we want to talk about when you're talking about rates, right? Something that has more of that human touch to it, but also, and of course, not always the case, but is usually more delicious because it has that slightly uneven texture or that it has more of that feel, that human touch of experience in it, as opposed to the machine. I love bread. And therefore, (laughs) I love that analogy. I'm going to start using that because it's so easy to understand when you talk about bread, if if you love bread like I do. I mean, I think I've watched so many at this point Netflix specials about food. And I just think about factories that make bread. And I think about there's a restaurant in L.A. I just went to a couple of days ago called Republic and they do their own, a lot of their own homemade bread. I think they have a couple of Michelin stars, maybe one or two. And there's a reason for that, right? There's a reason why they have a Michelin star because their bread is amazing and made by hand. Well, as we close it out, please tell everybody where they can find you, you know, other than like online everywhere. I see your content in Forbes. I've seen it in Adobe. I see it here. I see it there. I see it everywhere. But tell everybody what you're working on and where they can find you and how they should connect with you, right? If they have any questions about their personal brand, or if they have any questions about becoming an influencer, even though they're an agency owner, where can they find you? What are you doing? Sure. They can get that bread. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I love cheese. I love bread and cheese. They can feel free to contact me at LinkedIn. I'll just literally say my LinkedIn URL right now. It's linkedin.com slash in slash Goldie, my first name, G-O-L-D-I-E. They can also find me on the platform formerly known as Twitter at Goldie Chan, C-H-A-N. And they can also reach out to me at my email, my direct email at me, M-E, at GoldieChan.com. So one of these three places is honestly the best place to reach me professionally. If you have any questions, want to hire me for consulting, want to send me a delicious loaf of bread, homemade bread, I am open to that as well. So feel free to reach out and ask more questions. Oh my gosh. I hope you get sent all the bread because this was fantastic. Thank you so much for kind of showing us that agency ownership can be fun and different. And then there are other ways to think about using your experience and your influence to become better known. Thanks so much again, Goldie. And we'll talk to you again, hopefully really soon. All right. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you're new to the show, be sure to follow us. If you've been a longtime listener, let your friends know about the show. I'm at Brooks Dulles on Instagram and Twitter. And for fun, tag at SM Examiner. Also, be sure to check out our other shows, the Social Media Marketing Podcast, and the Social Media Marketing Talk Show. This brings us to the end of this week's Marketing Agency Show. We'll catch you next week as we explore the adventures of marketing agency life. 
The Marketing Agency Show is a production of Social Media Examiner. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.